Today I'd like us to look at Noah as a type of Christ. Consider Noah, man who most people have heard of. Most people saved or lost, they've all heard about Noah. But I'd like us to consider how Noah was a type of Christ and how like all types, they're not perfect. They break down. They break down. An example of that would be the cities of refuge, which we know are a picture of Christ. The manslayer would flee to the city of refuge. And once safe in one of the cities of refuge, they were safe from the avenger of blood. But the type breaks down when we see that there's six cities of refuge. Well, there's only one Savior. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. So as Brother Henry often says, types break down that way. They're not perfect. But they do point us to Christ. They do point us to Christ. So with that in our minds, let's turn to Genesis chapter 5. Genesis chapter 5, where we see the genealogy of Noah's brought forth. Genesis chapter 5. And we'll read verse 29 here. The scriptures tell us that Noah's father, Lamech, named his son Noah. Noah. And he called his name Noah, saying, This same shall comfort us concerning our work and toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord hath cursed. Noah's father called him Noah, named him Noah. Well, this name foreshadowed the one who would come for his people. Noah in Hebrew means rest. Rest. Noah's father regarded his, him as one who would be the rest giver, as one who should provide comfort from the toil incurred by the curse. This same shall comfort us concerning our work and toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord hath cursed. Well, I asked you, beloved of God, who is our rest? His name foreshadowed the one who is our rest. See, biblical names always have meanings. Always have meanings. Who's the rest of every born-again, blood-washed saint of God? Well, we know it's the Lord Jesus Christ and him alone. He's our rest. So Noah's name foreshadowed the one who is our rest. This ancient prophecy, as Robert Hawker brings forth, receives its fulfillment in Christ. Turn, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11. We'll read verses 1 to 10. 1 to 10. And remember, his name is Rest. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 to 10. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Well, we know the Lord Jesus Christ is called the branch. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness shall he judge, 
Well, the Lord is the Lord, our righteousness, beloved. So he judged the poor and reproved with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. Who shall the wicked stand before at the great white judgment throne? None other than the Lord Jesus Christ. None other than he. In righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. Our Lord is full of righteousness. Well, he walked upon this earth. He's perfect, sinless, spotless lamb of God. And he's rotting out of righteousness for his people. And who's he faithful to? He is faithful to God in all things, wasn't he? Everything. We'll see that later on. He's perfect. He's perfect in everything he did, beloved. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf, and the young lion, and the fatling together. And, and the little child shall lead them. And the cow and the bear shall feed. The young ones shall lie down together, for the lion shall eat straw like an ox. And the suckling child shall play on the hole of the asp. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the cocktrace den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now remember Noah's name. What's it mean? Again, it means rest, doesn't it? It means rest. Look at verse 10. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people. Who's our ensign? That's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the branch. He's our ensign, beloved. And look at this. The ensign of his people. To, to it shall the Gentiles seek. Who do we seek? Well, we seek the Lord Jesus Christ. And look at the latter part of this verse. And his rest shall be glorious. It's glorious, isn't it? The rest that we have in Christ, beloved, is glorious. It's absolutely glorious. Verse 10, well, this speaks of Christ, beloved. Verse 10, he's the ensign of his people. It's to him that God, if God's people find refuge. We flee to him. We seek him. And we find rest. In this rest, when God's people are born again by the Holy Spirit of God, we proclaim that this rest we have in Christ is glorious. It's glorious. It's wondrous. All our sins forgiven, all our sins forgiven. It's absolutely wondrous. Christ's rest is truly glorious for the believer. What a rest we have. What a rest we have from the burden and guilt of our sin. The burden and guilt of our sin. What a rest we have from the power of it. Now, we still have the presence of it, don't we? But it don't have the grip on us. It used to. Oh, my. And what a rest we have from the bondage of sin in Christ. Oh, we have rest from the curse and the condemnation of the law. Have you ever considered that? The believer has rest from the curse and condemnation of the law. The believer has rest from the divine wrath of God because Christ died as our substitute. Before God's law and justice. And God's law and justice, again, is totally satisfied in Christ. Totally satisfied in him. We have a rest. Knowing that all our sins are forgiven. All of them. There's not one that's not covered by the blood. That's glorious. That's a glorious rest. There's not one sin for the believer that's not covered by the blood. I was talking to a dear preacher this week. And we were, we were rejoicing on the phone at the wonder that all our sins, past, present, and future, are totally forgiven. And it, it, we were having a little revival right there. It was wonderful, because it fills your heart with joy. It fills your heart with joy. It really does. It's absolutely wondrous to think. And what a glorious rest the believer has in Christ. 
We have a full pardon of all our sins, paid in full. Everything God demanded for our sins, for the sins of his elect, is paid in full. Everything. There's nothing left out. Absolutely nothing. And, and we've been redeemed. We've been purchased by the blood of Christ. Purchased by the blood of Christ. We know that the life, the life of the flesh is in the blood. He gave his life for his people. Wonder of wonders. The sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God himself. God incarnate in the flesh. That he'd give his life for sinners. Purchased. We can't purchase. We could, we could have all the money in the world. And we can't purchase our soul. What shall it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lose his own soul? Lord Jesus Christ, if you're a believer, he purchased you with his own precious blood. That's a glorious rest, isn't it? That's glorious. That fills the, the believer's heart with joy. We also have rest in Christ in our afflictions, don't we? In the things that come our way through this life. Now, we, 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 don't, uh, we don't always like going through afflictions. I don't know anyone who likes going through afflictions. I really haven't met many people that like that. But we go through them, don't we? And God carries us through them. Carries his people through their afflictions. And, and what gives us rest Knowing that in the midst of a storm, that he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Never. Oh, what rest, what peace comes to the believer's heart. And we have an eternal rest too, beloved. We've not yet experienced that yet. But the saints who's went before us, they're experiencing it right now. An eternal rest. The believer in Christ has an eternal rest in glory. And just think of this. We will spend eternity beholding the one who redeemed us with his own precious blood. Oh, my. All because it pleased him to do so. Just because it pleased God to do so. Turn, if you would, to Matthew 11. Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. And and when we're there in glory, when we see our Savior face to face, beloved, we will praise him forever, forever, forever we'll thank him for what he's done for us. And what does the, believe, the Lord, who is the believer's rest, tell us in Matthew chapter 11? Let's, let's turn there. Matthew 11, verses 25 to 30. Look at this. I was talking to a dear sister today, or not today, on, this week, on Friday. And we were talking about someone that they know, and the, the person said to them, well, I'm, I'm too great of a sinner. Christ will never accept me. And I said, you let them know that Christ will accept all who come to him. That's the truth. All who come to him. You're accepted. He won't turn them away. He won't, and, he, and she said, isn't it wonderful? And we rejoice him because he didn't turn us away. He'll never turn any who come to him. He'll not turn them away. 
You won't. Look what it says here. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent, and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father. Neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. Come unto me. All ye that labor and are ever laden, and I will give you rest. Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Noah's name foreshadowed the very one who would be the believer's rest. Noah's name in Hebrew means rest. And that points right to Christ, beloved. That points right to the Lord Jesus Christ. What does the scripture say about those who find rest in Christ? It says we've ceased from our labors. Turn, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 4. See, this is how you can know if someone is truly trusting in Christ or not, right? Have they ceased from their labors? Are they constantly telling you what you have to do? (laughs) I used to be one of those fellas. I praise God he delivered me from that. Oh, what rest the believer has in Christ. The believer in Christ has ceased from their labors, beloved. They've ceased from trying to save themselves. They've ceased from trying to save themselves because because trying to save yourself, if God leaves you in that situation, will only lead to your condemnation. You're dying and perishing your sins. But look at this look at this scripture in Hebrews chapter four. And again, remember Noah's name, rest, right? Look at this, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. A rest to the people of God. For he that is entered into his rest, well, who's, the, who's our rest? The Lord Jesus Christ. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Right? For he that is entered into his rest, entered into Christ, he also ceased from his own works. <laughs> we can't save ourselves, but we look to the one who saves our souls. The one who did all the work. All the work that was needed for us to be accepted by God was done by Christ and Christ alone. The believers ceased from their labors. It's wonderful, isn't it? It's absolutely wonderful. Ceased from his labors. Ceased from his own works as God did from his. Oh my. Wonderful. So we see how the name of Noah foreshadowed Christ, who is the believer's rest. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. The name of Noah foreshadowed Christ, who is the believer's rest. And it is he and he alone who shall comfort us all. And our salvation is all in Christ and Christ alone. Genesis chapter 6, we'll read verses 1 to 8. Or 1 to 18. 1 to 18, I'm sorry. 
And it came to pass when men did begin to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be in 120 years. There were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old, men of renown. And God saw that the wickedness of men was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy men, whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and creeping things, and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah, look at this, verse 8, but Noah, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. And Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Jephed. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his ways upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Room shalt thou make in the ark, and shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. And this is the fashion which thou shalt make of it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, the breadth of it 50 cubits, and the height of it 30 cubits. A window shalt thou make to the ark, and in a cubit shalt thou finish it above, and the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof, with lower second and third third stories shalt thou make it. And behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh. Wherein is the breath of life? from under heaven, and everything that is in the earth shall die. But with thee, remember, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, but with thee will I establish my covenant. And thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons, and thy wife, and thy son's wife with thee. Note in verse 8 here, it says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now, this is true of every born-again, blood-bought saint of God. This is true of every born-again, blood-bought saint of God. We're saved because we found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Let that just sink into your soul, deep into your soul. The only reason you're saved is for Christ's sake. And because you, because as Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, we found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That's the only reason. And who is the one who saved us. Well, the one who's full of grace and truth. The one who's full of grace and truth. Turn, if you would, to John chapter 1, and we'll read verse 14. The one who's full of grace and truth. If Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, how much more would would God's Son, who's the sinless, spotless Lamb of God? If Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, how much more would God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, who said to be full of grace and truth. Look at this. John 1.14 And the Word was made flesh. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory as the only begotten of the Father, 
full of grace and truth. He's full. So how much, how much more in the eyes of the Lord would God's Son be said to be full of grace? He, oh my. He's, he's sinless. He's spotless. He's the only one who pleased the Father, beloved. He's the only one. If you and I get any grace, it has to come in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the fountain of all grace, beloved. He's the fountain of all grace. The, he's the Word of God. He's God incarnate in the flesh. And what did he do? He came here to save his people from their sins. Turn, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. We are saved by grace. And we know it's a gift of God. It's a gift from the sovereign hand of the Lord. And this grace comes to us in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. All spiritual blessings are in him. All of them, beloved. All of them. Look at verse 3 of Ephesians chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Now note that. Who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. All our spiritual blessings are knit together in Christ, beloved. The one who is full of grace and truth. In verse 4 we see, what are, what are some of these spiritual blessings? In verse 4 we see that we're chosen in Christ in eternity in this chapter. Well, what a blessing that is, beloved. In verse 5, we see that we're predestinated unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will because it pleased God to do so. That's a great blessing, beloved. That's a great blessing. In verse 6, we're accepted by God in Christ. In verse 7, we're redeemed by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have the forgiveness of all our sins. You see, all spiritual blessings are in him. In verse 9, we have revealed to us the mystery of God's will and how he purposed to save us from eternity. Not everyone in this world knows that. They don't have that revealed to them. But God's people do. God's people do. And these are all spiritual blessings that God's people have in Christ. In verse 13, we've obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of God, who works all things after who? After whose counsel? After the counsel of his own will, beloved. He saves whom he pleases. It's wonderful. In verse 13, we're born again by the Holy Spirit of God. We're given ears to hear the gospel of the word of truth. We're granted faith to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's the gospel of our salvation, isn't it? It's the gospel of our salvation. And it was sealed by the Holy Spirit of promises. These are spiritual blessings that the believer has in Christ. And there's many, many more. We're justified. We're sanctified in Christ. We're redeemed by Christ. It's amazing. It's just, it's just countless how many spiritual blessings we have in him. And they all come through Christ. They all come through him. Now Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Where do we find grace? In Christ. And through Christ alone, nowhere else, nowhere else. We are accepted in the beloved. We are accepted in Christ. And it's Christ who saved us. It's Christ who's called us with a holy call. Not according to our works, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. It's wondrous. It's absolutely wondrous. And what saint, what, what comfort a saint of God can draw from these truths as we travel through this world of woe. And this world is a world of woe. Again, it's the only, the only tribulation we face, the only trials we face, beloved, is in this world. In this world. 
Let's go back to Genesis chapter 6. Look at verse 9. The scripture proclaims that Noah was a just man. Noah was a just man. Genesis chapter 6, verse 9. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. Well, the Hebrew word for, for just is defined as just, lawful, righteous. Just, lawful, and righteous. Now, as a man, if Noah was just and perfect, imagine what the Lord Jesus Christ was. Oh, we know Noah is just like us. He's a sinner just like us who found acceptance with God through Christ, justified by faith in Christ. But, but Noah possessed no inherent righteousness of his own. This righteousness is imputed, beloved. It's imputed by faith to those who believe. There's only one man who's ever walked this earth who was inherently and intrinsically righteous, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. No one else. No one else. So, and, that, and that's who Noah foreshadowed. When it says he's a just and perfect man in his generation, that's who Noah foreshadowed, beloved. It pictured Christ, the only true just and righteous one. Turn, if you would, to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. How do we know this? Well, in our study on Wednesday nights, we've been going through 1 John. We're in chapter 2 now, but this is a portion that we hit a few weeks before. But look what it says here. 1 John chapter 2. And remember, Noah was a just man, which means righteous. Look at this. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. My little children. Now John's writing to believers. These things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the what? Righteous. Righteous. He is the only righteous man. Oh my. And he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. For all the elect of all the ages, beloved. Think of this. No one was or ever will be as perfect as the Lord Jesus Christ. He's sinless, spotless. He was, think of this. He was just in all his dealings with man, beloved. That's why he's called Jesus Christ the righteous. He was just in all his dealings with man. And he was just in all his dealings with God too, wasn't he? He was. He was perfect. And he walked, just like now, he walked in his generation, didn't he? Perfectly before God. Righteous. Spotless. Sinless. Perfect in all his ways. Think of that. Not a thought sin, not a spoken sin, not a sin in action. Absolutely perfect. We can't imagine that, can we? Because we're, we're sinners. <laughs> Everything we do is tainted with sin. But he's the God-man, beloved. He is God incarnated in the flesh and he came to save his people from their sins and he was perfect before God as our substitute too. Remember that. He's perfect before God as our substitute. He's perfect in all his ways before God and man. He came to do the Father's will. In John chapter 6, verse 39, it says, And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. He came to do the Father's will, beloved. He didn't come to do his own will. He came to do the Father's will. 
Father sent him to save his people from their sins. And he did it. He did it. He came to do the will of the Father. He came to save those whom the Father had given him before the foundation of the world. His bride. And how did he, how did he save them? By shedding his precious blood on Calvary's cross. By dying as their substitute. On that cross. By having the wrath of God that was deserving them fall upon him. And praise God, he cried, it is finished. And the scripture says he's raised for our justification. What a glorious Savior. Perfect in all his ways. Perfect in all his ways, beloved. Before, before God and man. Salvation is only in and through the Lord Jesus Christ, the righteous. Only in him. He's the only Savior of sinners. The only way that a sinner can be accepted before God. The only way that you or I, anyone in this room or anyone who will hear this message, the only way that we can be accepted by God is in and through Christ and Christ alone. There is no other way. There's no other way. No other way. Neither is there salvation in any other. No one else but Christ. No one else but Christ and Christ alone. Oh, there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we be saved. Only through Christ. Only through him. Oh, my. Turn to Psalm chapter 40, if you would. Psalm chapter 40, where see these, these words penned by David, but they have reference to our Lord and Savior, again, in how he came to do the will of the Father. He came to do the Father's will, and he did it perfectly. He was perfect again before God, and he was perfect before man. Look at this in Psalm 40, verses 7 and 8. Then said I, lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me. This book is written about Christ. This book right here is all about, it's a hymn book. Like Brother Henry said, H-I-M. It's a hymn book. It's, it's all about Christ. It's all about him. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written to me. I delight to do thy will, O God. Yea, the law is within my heart. Christ delighted to do the Father's will. Why? Because he came to save his people from their sins. His bride. You just, when we get a hold of that, when we get a hold of how we are the bride of Christ, and how he came to save us, how his love was set upon us from eternity, it'll, it'll, take, you, it'll, it'll take you away from the cares of this world for a while. It's a wonderful thing to think upon, to meditate upon. The everlasting love of Christ for his people, for his bride. And he purchased us with his own precious blood. And the fact that he came to do the will of the Father, which was to save his people from their sins. The volume of the book is written about him, it says there. And this, the Bible is all about Christ. The Old Testament and the New. He said, the law and the prophets, they testify of me. That's the words of the Master. They testify of him, beloved. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. Oh, our Savior delighted to do the will of God. He's perfect before God and perfect before man. Note here in Genesis chapter 
6, verse 8, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And then look down at verse 18 and take note that says that God established the covenant with him, not with anyone else. He established the covenant with Noah. So verse 8, it says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And then verse 18, it said, but with thee will I establish my covenant. With Noah. And thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wife and thy sons' wives with thee. God made this covenant with Noah at this time. That on making an ark, as God directed him and going in into it as he commanded, he would preserve him well. He would preserve him well, even while he's building it from the rage of man, from wicked man, and then he'd save him in it and his family. When this flood will come, and it will come, God said the flood's going to come. It, it came. It came. We say the wrath of God's coming. There'll be a day when, 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 when all men will stand before the judgment, the, the great right throne. Oh my. My, oh my. That's why we say flee to Christ. Flee to Christ. He's the only safety. He's the only refuge. But God told him, he said, you build that ark and I'll save you and your family. And you'll come out safe on the other side of the flood. How do we receive grace in the eyes of the Lord? How do we receive grace in the eyes of the Lord? Only through Christ. Nowhere else. Nowhere else. Only through Christ. And it was God the Father and the Son. Think of this. It's God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit who established the covenant in eternity. In eternity. We're saved because of a covenant that was established in eternity, beloved. That the Father and the Holy Spirit made with the Son. It's called the everlasting covenant. It's God who purposed to save his people. The whole trinity is in action in the salvation of a sinner. We've seen that many, many times in our studies. God the Father planned and purposed to save a people in Christ. The Son of God, the Word, became flesh and dwelt among us and redeemed us with his own precious blood. All that the Father gave him, he redeemed. He redeemed. The Holy Spirit regenerates them, born again by the Holy Spirit of God, born again by the almighty power of God, by the power of God, given faith. One, time, one, one, one day the, the believer has enmity with God, the scripture says that. <laughs> the next day they're born again and they're praising and worshiping the very God they had enmity with. <laughs> That's a miracle. That's a miracle, isn't it? That's a miracle, beloved. A miracle of, 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 and it's God's work. It's all God's work. It's all his work. And, and it's all done because of a covenant that was established in eternity. Between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit of God. The source of this covenant, the everlasting covenant, was God. The source of this covenant that was made with, with Noah was God. He's the one who executed this covenant and he's the one who will make it all come to pass just like the everlasting God. It's all in God's hands. 
Remember, it is Christ, the God-man, and only him in whom salvation is found. It's only he who has found favor in the eyes of the Father. And the only way we find favor in the eyes of the Father is in and through Christ and Christ alone. Remember what the Father said? This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. Oh, my. Thus, at the early period in human history here, God was revealing the great principle by which redemption should afterwards be effected by his son, namely that of representation, the one acting for the many, the many receiving blessings through the one. Lastly, let's look at Genesis chapter 8. Genesis chapter 8, turn over there if you would. Or see, Noah sent out a dove out of the ark. Noah sent a dove out of the ark. Genesis chapter 8, verses 9 to 11. But the dove found no rest for the sole of her foot. And she returned unto him into the ark, for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. Then he put forth his hand and took her and pulled her into, or unto him into the ark. And he stayed yet another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came in to him in the evening, and lo, in her mouth was an olive leaf plucked off. So Noah knew that the waters were abated from off the earth. Now let us remember that the ark, the ark was a picture of Christ. All who were in the ark were safe from the wrath that was outside. All who were in the ark were safe from the wrath of God. And that wrath of God, which which the rain was the wrath of God, falling down upon those people, all who were outside the ark perished. Every one of them. Every one of them. The wrath of God fell upon those outside the ark. And they perished. They all drowned. But inside the ark... Not a drop of rain, not a drop, not even, not even a a little wee, nothing, (laughs) not a drop fell upon those in the ark. Turn back over to Genesis 6, just real quick, and look at verse 14. The ark was pitched, it says. It was pitched. The scriptures bring forth this in Genesis 6, 14, that this pitch, and we know that the pitch here, beloved, it pictures the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we're covered under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're covered. We're safe under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Rooms shalt thou make in the ark and shalt pitch it within and within and without with pitch. Within and without, both sides. Now the word pitch there in the Hebrew means to cover. Figuratively means to expiate to appease, to make an atonement. It pictures the blood of Christ, beloved. The pitch pictures the blood of Christ. It means to cleanse, forgive, be merciful, pacify, pardon, to purge away, put off, make reconciliation. So the ark was covered with pitch, both inside and out. Both inside and out. And this pitch, beloved, was to keep the waters out. 
And as I read more about it, it turns almost into a, into a cement, almost. I remember reading Brother Henry in one of his commentaries, and he said, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He, remember, we're built up a spiritual house. He said, what's the one thing that keeps us all connected? He said, the blood of Christ is like a cement. Keeps us all together, beloved. Keeps us all together. But this, this pitch, this pitch would not allow any water to come in, not even a drop, not even a drop. Well, think of this. And it also, it would, it would preserve the ark from sun and from the water and from worms, one commentator said, from worms as well. Huh. Oh, my. Well, we know that the waters pitched, pictured the wrath of God, and we know that all who were inside the ark were safe from those waters. We know not a drop fell on them. Well, think of this, beloved. We who are in Christ are safe from the wrath of God. We're safe from the wrath of God. It's already being poured out on Christ. Just like that wrath was poured out on that ark, it hit the ark and it, everyone inside was safe. They were all safe, beloved. The wrath of God against his people is being poured out on Christ. Oh my. And just as that pitch protected so that not a drop would fall upon the people in Christ, so the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, beloved, so covers God's people that not a drop of the wrath of God will ever fall upon us. It's glorious. Do you see how this rest is glorious? Do you see how the rest that we have in Christ is absolutely glorious? It's wondrous. It's absolutely wondrous. Now let's go back over there and in Genesis, we'll read that again in, in verses, Genesis 8, verses 9 and 10. Actually, let's, let's just read verse 11. And the dove came in to him in the evening, and lo, in her mouth was an olive leaf plucked off. So Noah knew that the waters were abated from off the earth. He sent the dove out to see if the waters had abated. And the dove came back to Noah with an olive branch in her mouth. And this told Noah that the wrath of God, which was pictured in the rain, had ceased. Had ceased. Because an olive, an olive branch would be from the lower trees, beloved. From the lower trees. Turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter, Matthew chapter 3. And then put your finger in John chapter 14. We're almost finished. Listen to what the scriptures proclaim in Matthew chapter 3. In verses 16 and 17. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straight away out of the water. And lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. And lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Now remember in our study in John chapter 14 a few weeks ago, we looked at how the Lord would send the Holy Spirit. But he's told his disciples, I must die first. I must die first. Turn if you would to John 14. He had told them, I must die first. I must die first. And then the Holy Spirit will be sent to you. And he said, I'll not leave you comfortless. 
I won't leave you comfortless. John 14, verses 16 to 18. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, verse 17, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Now remember, Noah sent out that dove. He came back with an olive. Olive branch. When did the Holy Spirit come? He was pictured like a dove. When did the Holy Spirit come? After Christ's death. After the wrath of God had been satisfied. Had been satisfied. After the wrath of God for his people had been extinguished in Christ. We have before us, beloved, a picture of how the Holy Spirit comes after the wrath is gone. After the wrath is gone. And think of that. We have glad tidings in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wrath of God that was rightly and justly should have fell upon us has been totally appeased in Christ. Extinguished in Christ. And what glad tidings this is What glad tidings this is for sinners who flee to Christ. Who flee to Christ. The wrath of God has been appeased in my place, the believer can say, by Christ. What a rest. What a glorious, glorious rest we have in Christ, beloved. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for allowing us to gather together today. Allowing us to look into thy word. Oh, we pray that the truths that we looked at today, oh, that they be honey to our souls for this week, Lord, that we'd meditate upon them and, and, and think upon these precious, precious truths, oh, Lord. We glorify your name and we magnify your name. We pray for any who do not know you, Lord. Oh, that you'd make the words effectual. Oh, that you'd grant them faith, faith to believe upon thee, oh, Lord. Oh, that you'd make them willing in the day of your power. Glory to your name, Lord. Honor and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.